Hi, welcome to Notes from a Drama Watcher, a podcast about East Asian dramas. It's part review, part recap, so there will definitely be spoilers ahead. Let's go! Hi, welcome to episode 31 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. This is your host, M. Welcome if you are new and welcome back if you've been here before. In this episode, we will be talking about Color Rush Season 2, Episodes 5 through 8, Paint with Love, Episodes 10 through 12 through the final episode, Not Me, Episodes 8 through 10, and first look at Cutie Pie, which just came out on the 19th. So it's an all BL episode. (laughs) I seem to be watching a lot of BL lately. I have started recently taking a look at The Gifted, but I've only looked at episode one so far. So I'm not going to be including it here in the review because I want to get a few episodes under my belt before I start including it in the podcast, just in case it takes me a while to to kind of get going with it. So I'm going to start off with Color Rush, season two, episodes five through eight. So this season, we've got our new character, Sehyun, who we learn in earlier episodes is basically homeless. And so after his sister passes away and he meets with Yeonwoo at his funeral, he goes home with Yeonwoo to live with him for a while. So they both have a vested interest in finding out what is going on with the monos that are disappearing with the lapis lazuli, which is a drug that monos think will allow them to see color. And so they go to investigate this a little bit. They wind up at a club trying to find out more about what happened with Sehyun's sister, who they come to find out is actually an administrator on the website, the Grayscale website for monos, which is an online website where people meet, where people talk about probe surgery and lapis lazuli, the drug that they think will help them to see will help monos to see color without the help of a probe. Probe surgery, if you recall, is a surgery they think they can have that will also allow them to see color so that they do not need the help of a probe. While they are doing their own investigation, the aunt continues to do her investigation. Remember, she is a program director slash investigative reporter trying to find out what's going on with the missing monos. At this club, while they're investigating, a couple of things happen. One of them is, I guess some people think it's cutesy, but... A couple of things happen. They take a drink of this liquid, which I believe has the lapis lazuli, what they think is lapis lazuli in there. And this allows them to have a kind of hallucination, which is called Vansa Black. It it kind of makes your vision tunnel and you see not so much colors as as a variety of grayscales and black. This only affects you if you are a mono. And so, of course, Yeonwoo drinks it and his vision is affected. But at the same time, he realizes that Sehyun vision has also been affected by this drink. That's when he realizes that Sehyun is, in fact, a mono as well. I find that interesting because we don't, I don't recall that they ever said what the percentage of monos, probes, uh, regular folk, quote unquote, are in society. But we know Sehyun's sister was a mono. So... I'm curious, statistically speaking, what are the chances that you're going to have two kids in the family that are monos? Unless the society, I don't think they ever said it was half and half. So that's why I'm curious. If it's like a 10 or 15%, it's surprising to me that there would be two monos in the same family. I can't think that society would be half and half because 50-50 
Does that mean 50% of society is being bullied by the other 50%? That seems kind of, seems kind of odd. I mean, I guess it's possible. It seems kind of odd that that would be, if there was such a high percentage of monos in society, that that half of society would, would be bullied. And also that some kind of scientific advancement or medical breakthrough had not had not been found before this to help if half of society is suffering from what the other half thinks is something that will cause them to be obsessive, possessive, and dangerous. Also, we've seen that Sehyun seems to have a little bit of a crush on Yeonwoo. And in this episode, in episode five, when they go into the club to do their investigation, someone there starts talking to Yeonwoo that seems to maybe have a romantic interest and we see a little bit of jealousy from Sehyun. Now at this club, they also find a flyer on the counter in the bar that adds, it's an employment flyer looking for workers at a factory. And they don't make the connection at the moment that this is odd, but later they make that connection and they decide to go look for jobs at the factory. And this is actually pretty sad. First of all, it's a pretty sketchy factory. But secondly, the factory, they all have a new or an employee meeting. And at this meeting, they talk about their their last worker who left for a wonderful life and a better job after having her successful probe surgery. And this is not true because it turns out they're talking about Sehyun's sister and they put a picture up of her and everything. And this must be so heartbreaking for Sehyun to sit there. And he obviously reacts and kind of wants to jump up from his chair and, you know, do who knows what. And Yeonwood has to like hold him back because if if he does react, he's going to blow his cover because they don't know that that's his sister up there. They just think it's two workers here. So it must be so hard for him to hold to hold it inside as they're standing up there lying, talk about the talking about the wonderful life she now has after her successful surgery, which is just a bunch of a bunch of nonsense. It's all lies. It's all actually really sad when you think about it because this is a room full of monos who society has decided is dangerous, etc. But these are really like vulnerable people in their own way and they're totally being exploited by this company and possibly by others. You know, who who knows how much money they've invested. They've probably invested their life savings into trying to have probe surgery or into trying to get this medicine that's not even real, all out of desperation. And actually at the end of the episode, there's this touching scene where they're all given um, some candy that allows them to, t- to see color for a bit. And as I just said, they had a picture up there of Sehyun's sister when they were talking about her successful transition. They had a picture up there of her. And so he's taking this candy and he's seeing color for the first time. And it's also, that also means that it's the first time he's seen his own sister in color. And you can see, you know, his, his expression, his eyes widen. He's just, it's very touching to him and exciting to see his sister in a way he's never seen her before. But it also must really hurt because he's having this precious moment while listening to all this nonsense that these exploiters at this company are spewing. Now they do find out, big, big spoiler, <laughs> um, there is no such thing as probe surgery. Just again, they are exploiting desperate, vulnerable people. And what it is, is basically a doctor who is, he's trying to do probe surgery. He's experimenting on people, but it's all an experiment and people are dying while he's trying to see if he can do this probe surgery. 
and Yeonwoo and Sehyun find this out. They witness someone about to have surgery performed on them and they try to save this person. It's someone that they've become acquainted with there at the company. So they have to try to save this person and fight their way out, which when you think about it, they're two high school kids. So like how realistic is this? But you know, <laughs> it's a drama. Sehyun is supposed to be a really strong person. So he's almost single-handedly fighting people off all to try to save Yeonwoo and this and this girl because he's got such a crush on Yeonwoo. If you've seen season one of Color Rush, you know that the storyline in season one is that Yeonwoo is scared to even have a probe because he's scared that he's going to become this obsessive possessive person and he meets his probe Yuhan in season one and it's really Yuhan who's the possessive one. I, I wouldn't say obsessive necessarily but the possessive one. It's funny to me that Sehyun says that he never approached Yeonwoo because he was always around Yuhan. Yuhan must have been like scary, <laughs> scarily possessive because Sehyun is supposed to be strong. Everyone knows he's strong. There's another kid in school who early in, I think in the first or second episode of this season, who bullied his sister because he didn't realize that she was Sehyun's sister. And once he finds out, he's like groveling practically, like don't tell your brother because he's so scared of Sehyun. So to think that Sehyun was scared of Yuhan, <laughs> I really wonder what weird looks he was giving him or what was going on there that Sehyun was that scared. They also do conclude and what happens with Yeonwoo's mother. We do find out, there's a strong hint, what happened with her. And it turns out she got caught up in all this because she was trying to buy the lapis lazuli. And that's a little hurtful to Yeonwoo's aunt because she thought that her sister was happy, but it turns out her sister was trying to buy what was basically drugs, illegal drugs. And so that's that's somewhat hurtful to her as well. But we do get the conclusion to that story of her disappearance. But there are other questions, right? There's this whole organization or this whole system that's been built up around Mono's trying to get probe surgery, trying to buy drugs, etc., being exploited. So they've taken down one part of it, but there are still other parts that need to be taken down as well. I did enjoy season two. Uh, I know some people did not like it. It's funny, I'm kind of seeing mixed reactions on Twitter and on Reddit. Some people didn't like it, although I seem, this is just anecdotal, but it seems to me a lot of the people who are saying they don't like it is, they really don't like that Yuhan is not there. Um, I can't I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the actor who was an idol from the boys, that's what they seem to be upset about. Not the storyline necessarily, although I do see some people talking about that it was slow and it is slow in the beginning. The pacing I do, I have to say, was a little off in this show. It did start really slowly. I don't know that they could have done things that differently though, because they had to introduce this completely new character, a new character and a new storyline for him. They had to give him a reason why he would need to be around Young Wu to work with him. So I'm not sure how much they could have changed while still having it make sense. Maybe they could have cut like one episode of world building because then the thing is the last part of the show went by really fast. Once they figure out that there are drugs involved and this company where people think they might have surgery, it goes by super fast. So the pacing was off in that sense, but it was good that they concluded all the different threads. The only thread that's loose that's missing here is what happened to Yuhan. We don't see him for most of the show. 
we don't see the actor. He's he's gone. Some people had speculated before the show began that he might do a cameo or something, but he never showed up. He's just completely gone from the show. But we do get at the end of episode eight a very strong hint that there will be a season three and Yuhan will factor in season three. At least the search for Yuhan will factor in season three. The question is what actor will be there to replace our original actor? Now, if you're looking for romance, it doesn't happen here. This is a bromance. I'm kind of glad of that, to be honest, because Yun Woo and Yuhan went through a lot to be together. Honestly, to me, it would be kind of odd if he just jumped, if Yun Woo just jumped into another relationship automatically, especially because as far as he knows, Yuhan's been kidnapped. He doesn't know what happened to him. So for him to just jump into another relationship, I don't think that would be realistic. So I like that they kept it at a bromance. I do have to say, though, I saw what I thought was a spoiler on YouTube with Sehyun and Yeonwoo kissing. And I it, I was totally clowned by that spoiler. <laughs> and I'm not mad at it. I actually like the way that they did it. So I'm not mad at it at all. I, like I said, I enjoyed it. All the characters are still here in a, if we get a season three. And then Yuhan will be in the mix. We know that Sehyun likes Yeonwoo. He's got a crush on him. Yeonwoo does not respond in that sense. He's still loyal to Yuhan. So it'll be interesting to see later if there will there be a triangle. What will happen in season three? <laughs> and I saw some people, people who like, so the people who do like season two. And they do like Ahyuk uh, as the actor for Sehyun, they liked the character of Sehyun. They were like, why don't they just let Sehyun and Yeonwoo get together? What's wrong with Amano and Amano being together? And I kind of had a little little discussion with someone about this with someone online because I was thinking, I don't know that that would work. That would be very interesting. <laughs> but if it was someone like Yeonwoo, I could see it working in the sense, if he had not met Yuhan, I could see it working in the sense that he never wanted a probe in the first place, right? He actively was not seeking a probe. So I could see him getting in a relationship with another mono and probably be okay with that. But if it was not Yeonwoo, if it was someone else, and if, if it was two other monos, who at the same time did want to find their probe, I could see where that would be a big issue in a relationship. You've got this, what you think is a strong relationship, and out of the blue, someone meets their probe. What happens next? Does that destroy the relationship? Does the probe accept that his mono, his or her mono, is with another mono? You know, what would happen? Uh, That would be interesting. I have not read the original novel. I don't know if this issue is addressed at all in the original novel, but I'm curious. I don't think it would work, but again, it depends. Just like in real life, it depends on the person, if they would be able to make such a relationship work. So again, I liked season two. I don't know I don't know that I would say I liked it more than season one. There are different things that I like about the different seasons. I do like the addition of, of Sehyun. I like the character. Just the problem with the pacing, I wish they had given a little more time to the actual investigation into the probe surgery and the drugs, etc., and a little more time with the friends, actually, because they barely show up in the show. And when they do show up, it's kind of very random. In, in episode five, I think they show up. It's so random the way they show up. It was like, why have them there at all, really? But anyway, looking forward to a season three. I hope we get it. Next up, I'm going to talk about Paint with Love. Oh, before I do, Color Rush is available on Vicky. Seasons one and two are available on Vicky. So Paint with Love is available on Gaga Ula. It's with Hei and Singto. And Yat and Yun. Yat and Yun are the second male couple. 
So episode 10 is a bunch of people not speaking to each other and not seeing what their true feelings are. <laughs> Basically, it is the aftermath of Pab and Nung getting into that altercation. Pab has been offered a job in Japan, which Med is Maze is not really happy about. But, you know, it gives him some things to, to think about. Pab has a lot to think about. Pab just, I think, wants Maze to say, don't go. <laughs> and Maze is not saying that. It's everything that Pab is going through is inspiring him in his art, at least. You know, he he had been at a standstill for a little bit. And now he's getting his his art, his art done because he's feeling so many emotions that he needs to express. And again, that's good for him as an artist, but it's showing the turmoil that's in his relationship with Maze. Maze comes to some, I guess what he thinks are realizations through episode 10. He's realizing Pab is an artist and Pab just does things differently, but he thinks the way to kind of honor that is to fire Pab (laughs) Uh, so that he is basically like forced to go to Japan. He thinks that Pab staying with him will be stifling for Pab, which I don't know that he's wrong about that. Um, Pab functions well enough in an office environment. He seems to be doing okay there, but it's clearly not his calling. He'd rather be at home doing his art. So I don't know that Maze is wrong in his in that conclusion, but the way he goes about it is what is disturbing to Pab. Pab wants Maze just to say, I want to be with you, stay with me. But Maze is not going to do that. He does, uh, at the end of the episode, kind of as the last ditch thing, Maze does, run off to try to reach Pab before he leaves, but he doesn't get to his house in time, which I actually appreciated. We did not have the whole running through the airport, stopping him at the the gate (laughs) kind of thing. It didn't happen. And I actually do appreciate that because that would have been too, too much of a trope, too cliche. Episode 11 is very heavily focused on Maze. Three months are are passing. We learn that three months are passing while Pab is in Japan and traveling. And in the meantime, Maze is going to Pab's house. He has the key to his house, sleeping on the bed, looking at his art, (laughs) all these things. He clearly misses Pab a lot. And he's very sad that Pab is gone. But I think he still feels like he did the right thing. I get the feeling as I watch this, I, I so often think that I don't think Maze had much personal growth here at all in this show. But in this episode, you do see that he has softened somewhat because there's another couple in the office that the guy, I can't remember the name, the guy really likes his um, female colleague and he's, you know, trying to do things to get on her good side and he uses the office printer to print some things out and uh, one of the other workers, you know, runs to Maze and says, oh, he's using the office equipment. (laughs) For personal reasons. And Maze is like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) He doesn't, in the past, he would have been like docking the person's pay or maybe gone and yelled at them or something. And now he's just totally softened about it, about love. So Pab has had an effect on him. It's loosened him up. Um, Whether Pab himself or the experience of loving Pab (laughs) would have loosened him up a bit. So he has had some growth. Also in this episode, they bring us back around to that storyline. I mentioned it in a previous podcast where that manager was beaten up by Nung's manager, Dan's manager, sorry. And it had been recorded on someone's um, car dash cam. And I said, this is going to come back to bite them. And it does. It comes out in the news. She feels slighted because Dan actually fires her as his manager. So she has the video and she puts out a video 
you know, showing that she had been beaten up by someone, by the manager for Nung, and that no one helped her, and Than is standing right there and didn't help her, etc. So not only is this criminal, but, you know, in the world of social media, now Than is afraid of being canceled, and Nung as well afraid of being canceled because of what happened. I knew that was going to come around, and I'm glad, I guess, that they concluded it, but I'm still so uncomfortable with that original scene that just went a step too far for me. It was kind of unnecessary. And their way of kind of making it okay was showing that she was not a great person to begin with, or she scammed people, or or whatever it might be. But, eh, I don't know. I still feel like that was a weird storyline. And aside from that, we didn't really get much of a story for our second couple. We see that Than likes Nung. That's pretty clear. I never really fully felt clear about Nung's feelings for Than. They do get together before the show ends, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just cynical, but I almost feel like Nung could be using Than for ratings because they, they have a press conference about the BL that they filmed together and they're like, oh, you know, showing that they're a couple and I don't know. There's I, I never I never got any great love feeling from Nung. So I'm just not even sure about that. I wish they had given them more time to develop this couple because since we don't get a lot of time with them, aside from the time that they show them filming the BL, we don't get a real feeling for them. And so it's hard to tell if Nung's feelings are genuine. I don't know. It could just be my own thing, though. I I've seen Yun in a couple of things already. And I feel like I never get a true feeling for his characters. And I'm not sure why that is. In this case, I don't think it was him. I really do think it was the writing of the show. They spent a lot of time on Pab and Maze and not as much on Yun and Fan if they were making them the second couple like that. So overall, the writing, I would say, was a little uneven in the show, in the show as a whole. Here in episode 11, they spent, I felt like the whole storyline of the manager being beat up was just weird. And they spent a little too long, I feel, in episode 11 kind of resolving that problem. Especially, I feel like episode 11, the story's coming to its conclusion, it's coming to its end, right? I want to see the couples. I I kind of don't want to see this other (laughs) storyline. Maybe they could have somehow put it in episode 10. Maybe they could have resolved it earlier in the show. I'm not sure. But at the end, I just really didn't care about that. I wanted to see what was going on with the couple. Couples. Um, Maybe in episode 11, we could have seen a little more behind the scenes of Nung talking about his feelings, whatever, before he even confronted um, Than and they got together. They should have spent some time focusing on that rather than on this social media storm or whatever was going on with that. So for Tay's first foray into BL acting that, you know, for a long time, I wish it would have been a little better for him, but it was okay. The show was okay. Not something I would necessarily watch again, but Tay and Sing Cho, I thought had good chemistry. I would watch them again if they were in something, just if it was something with a little tighter writing, I think. And I've mentioned it before in a previous podcast, but they did a duet for the OST for this show. I really recommend you go listen to it and watch it online. There are some performances available on YouTube. Hopefully, if I remember, I'll put some links to some lives in the story in the story notes below so that you can check out the song. So I'm just going to briefly talk about Cutie Pie episode one. 
because I'm going to be watching it, including it in my podcast in later episodes. So I'm not going to go in depth on this, except to say, definitely go watch it. <laughs> it's on the Manzi channel on YouTube. So it is free. It's off to a good start. Cute storyline. I see the chemistry between the actors. The end of the episode kind of went in a, a direction I didn't really expect it to, which was good. And I am so happy to see Perth again <laughs> acting. I watch a lot of his. He has a YouTube channel, in case you don't know, where he he does some lives. He plays some games and stuff. But he also has this thing where he tries various products. So he tried some Mexican candies in one episode. He tried some American cereals in another episode. And he's got some episodes where he and Talay are reacting to their scenes in My Engineer. So he's got some cute stuff on his YouTube channel. So I've been watching him there, but I'm also just glad to see him in a show. And I've been seeing online that Ken and Porsche finally is apparently coming out soon. So we will also get to see Perth there if you're interested in that. I'm not sure that I'll be watching Ken and Porsche. Uh, I possibly will, but mafia storylines are really not my bag. <laughs> but Perth is there. So, <laughs> so I may watch it just to see him, but he's not a main character. So I don't know that that would be enough to keep me with the show unless it was something truly exciting. So go watch Cutie Pie. <laughs> that being said, on to the last show for this podcast. I'm going to be talking about Not Me episodes 8 through 10. If you are not watching Not Me, what are you waiting for? Please go watch. It is so good. It's on YouTube on GMM TV, so it is free, comes out on Sundays, it is starring Gun and Off, First, and Mond. So just to backtrack in episode seven, that's where we see a protest that had formed of people protesting various things, right? They're, they're wanting marriage equality, uh, it was for disability rights, etc. And we saw this cute moment where white is there as black in the part of the protest that is calling out for marriage equality and saying out with Tawi, our businessman, and Sean shows up and they wind up holding hands and chanting together. So at the end of this episode, Sean shows up at Black's apartment and basically forces his way in because he wants to talk to, to Black. And so he, in episode eight, he explains to Black what happened with his father and how that changed his life, basically, because now he was known as the son of a drug dealer and he was treated badly by his peers in school. Then his mother left, they say, I'm assuming she passed away. So it's just, it's a very lonely, rough time for him after his father was killed. If you recall earlier, we heard about his father being killed, or we heard about the case of a truck driver who was killed by the police that they said was running drugs. And that turns out to be that case he was talking about was his father. And so he blames Tui for this, as we see in this episode. In this episode, he actually, Tui is coming to speak at the school and Sean actually confronts him at the school with this story. But before that, Sean and Black, or Sean and White, are in Black's apartment. They're drinking and talking and they wind up falling asleep. And White is completely inebriated. And so Sean takes the opportunity to go through, through White's things. And he discovers... He finds a pair of glasses and contacts and he kind of, look, kind of looks at White suspiciously. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, does he know? <laughs> but, but anyway, so that happens. He winds up tying White to the bed so that he can go off to the college and see the lecture from Tawi and confront him. 
I'm not, I'm still not a hundred percent sure why he tied white to the bed unless he was just trying to stop him because he thought white might try to stop him from confronting Tawi. In the meantime, in episode seven, we saw Dan and Yuck or Dan kidnap Yuck basically and bring him to his lair where he has all his artwork and Yuck and he talk art and Yuck explores the art and asks him why he, why Dan does what he does. And, you know, he tells him, I know that you drew me because remember Yuck, I'm sorry, Dan had drawn Yuck in one of the murals that he did. And so he kind of says, you know, you owe me. And <laughs> so the way of paying him back is for Dan to pose for one of, for Yuck's, for a drawing. Yuck is doing a project for school. And for this project, he's drawing a nude model. So Dan agrees to, to pose for him. Now, Gawain, Fluke Gawain. I've seen him before in Dark Blue Kiss. I really like Dark Blue Kiss. Mork and Sun were my favorite part of the show. Even though I love Tay Tawan, Mork and Sun were my favorite. And so I have a soft spot for Fluke Gawain. And I was really amazed by him in this episode. When Yok is drawing Dan, Dan feels very vulnerable in that moment, right? He's nude and his feelings just come pouring out and he starts to cry. But in like 10 seconds, Fluke Gawain, his face just goes from neutral. You see his his lips and, and chin trembling, and then he just completely falls apart. It's wonderful to see. I mean, that sounds odd, but it's wonderful to see because Fluke Gawain, I haven't seen him since, since Dark Blue Kiss. I don't know if he's been in anything else, but his acting was so good. It was so good. And... I've seen people say a few negative things about his acting and I'm like, no, this, this shows you he can do it. He can totally do it. He needs the the right material. He needs the right director. And I read, it was a translation someone had done of, of what Nucci had, the director had written on Instagram, I believe it was where they kind of gave, um, the script, a, a loose kind of script and Dan and Yok, or I should say first and Gawain, were the ones who kind of took it in this direction, who took it as far as they did. And it was an amazing scene. We've got Dan just breaking down and being so vulnerable. And Yok does this drawing, lets him feel whatever it is he's feeling, and then just hugs them at the end and is like, you know, it'll be all right. It's all right. And I love this couple. I really do. And I normally am very into the second couple in shows. But that's not the case here. I, I'm loving Dan and Yolk the same as I'm loving White and Sean. I think they're really, I think Nucci has done a great job of giving enough time to everyone. In the beginning, Dan and Yolk didn't seem to have enough time together, but they've been getting more time. And this episode was really focused. It, uh, episode eight was really focused on them. We really got to see a lot of them. And so I'm really satisfied with the amount of time I'm getting with this couple as well. And I think their characters are really being developed very well. I remember when this episode came out, most of what people were talking about on Twitter was just Gawain's acting. I think people were just, were just shocked. And it's funny because he's in, in he's in Enchante now. I've only seen episode one of Enchante. I have not seen the rest. And that's not anything negative about Enchante. I'm just watching so many things that I've decided that I'm going to let a few episodes go and then kind of binge maybe three or four episodes at a time with, with Enchante. I just, I'm just trying to watch so much. And I'm actually trying to watch some more um, Korean dramas, non-BL, because I've just been watching mostly BL lately. <laughs> 
And this podcast is not strictly BL. <laughs> so I do want to watch some other things so I can talk about them here on the podcast. Anyway, I'm mentioning Enchante just to say I haven't seen it. So this is pure, just, I guess, a bias on my part. But I almost feel like it's a step back because it's, it's, he's a supporting character again, but it's another kind of comedy show, whatever. And I'm like, we've seen, he does really good with these heavy roles and he's doing really well and not me. So I kind of want to see him in a really serious role like this again. I mean, he does have his lighthearted moments with Yoke, Dan and Yoke, but otherwise it's a pretty intense role. So I want to see that from him again. We we know now that he can totally do it. So that's what I want to see from Gawain. We also, in this part, we see Black, who Sean thinks is Black, Black and Sean getting closer. And they finally share a kiss at the end of the episode. And it was very, very sweet. You could see White is kind of scared. He's not scared. That's not the word. He's unsure. He's unsure. Because he knows that basically Sean is kissing Black. As far as he knows, he's kissing Black. Episode 9 just continues with this. They, they become intimate and he, White does stop uh, Sean for a moment because he is hesitant. Right? He doesn't, Sean still doesn't know that that is not White. And so White is like, if I'm not the Sean that you know, would you still be okay with that? Because he knows he's essentially lying to Sean. Um, also in this episode, we get to see more of Dan and Yoko. Yoko is looking for Dan at the police station, which I think is the very bold move. If you know that the police might be looking for you, but he goes looking for him. They go out to dinner together and they see what was Dan's first piece of art that he had ever done. His first mural he had ever done. And Dan tells Yoko the story of the mural of what happened surrounding it. And that's where we see that, yes, Dan was the one who seemed to have killed Sean's father and it's something that has been weighing heavily on him ever since and has basically informed all of his decisions ever since it's why he's working in this small police station he wants to to help people who maybe no one else will help at least that's what he tells Yoke and they also grow closer Yoke makes Dan promise to stay by his side to not leave him Honestly, I'm wondering if that's some kind of foreshadowing. I don't know about this couple. I don't know that we're going to get a happy ending with them. In this episode, someone appears to be following Yok. Dan happens to be driving by and hides Yok in his car. And I find that pretty suspicious. You know, what was Dan doing driving around this neighborhood? I don't think it's his neighborhood. He wasn't driving around in a police car acting in an official police capacity. He just happens to be driving by when Yok needs help. I'm not sure I trust it. And I don't like saying that after I've said all these wonderful things about Fluke Cowan. <laughs> but I will separate the actor from the character. I don't know that I fully trust Dan. I'm wondering if he's just doing an undercover thing to try to get closer, to try to infiltrate the gang. And I would hate for that to happen to Yoke because Yoke is such a sweet, open character. I would hate to think that he's being deceived by Dan. And it might be not be a complete deception. Maybe Dan, that's what he intended to do. But in the meantime, he's starting to have feelings for Yoke. I don't know. I'm just not sure we can trust him. We also see in this episode that Black apparently wakes up in the hospital. <laughs> 
while White was being intimate with Sean. So I guess his heart rate was increasing or whatever it was, but it caused him to wake up because remember Sean and uh, I'm sorry, White and Black can somewhat feel what the other is feeling. White gets a call on Black's phone from their mom who asks, why did he leave the hospital? And that's when White realizes that Black, I'm sorry, yes, that White realizes that Black has woken up and he decides to go back to the apartment. He gets attacked and it turns out his attacker is Black. And this is where we finally meet Black for the first time. Now saying all that, Black seems like somewhat of a jerk. (laughs) Plain and simple. He immediately, this is not the jerk part actually. He immediately starts taking his his earrings and everything back from white starts putting them back at himself and you know he's taking his life back which he has the total right to do that that's totally within his right he does smack white in the process which was like huh (laughs) you know but i think it's i think he thinks it's a way of protecting white in some way he's he's upset that white took over his life and tried to investigate because he's saying you know he put white put his own life at risk and he shouldn't do that but also as they're talking it comes out that Todd is the one who put Black in the hospital, which I think is someone that mo- something that most people suspected. Todd was suspicious from the beginning, so I cannot say I was surprised by that. Now, White goes to see, in episode 10, or up to episode 10, White goes to see their mother in the hotel and is talking to her. And I noticed about partway through that she starts looking at him differently. It's actually in the part where he told her, He said something to her like, you call yourself a justice keeper. Something about that phrase, I guess, struck her and you see like a change in her expression. And she continues talking to him. But at the end, she tells him everything that we've just discussed, go and tell Black. She knew it was him. And I think that it was white. And I think it's when he said the thing about the justice keeper, because that's when her expression changed. I'm not sure what about that phrase triggered it. Like she said, she's their mother. And of course, she's going to know the difference between them. I just think it's sad that he, even after she knows he's pretending to be black, there's still no like hug between them. There's nothing, you know, she, they haven't seen each other in 10 years. And this is just a strange family. She's telling him, forget about black. You know, it reminded me in the first episode where the father tells him the same thing. Forget about black. Who's going to forget their twin? Who's going to forget seeing their mom? Like, (laughs) no, it's not realistic to say that to someone. I don't think. So this is just a very dysfunctional (laughs) kind of family. So also myself and I think many other people were thinking that Sean knew that there was something up with Black and that that wasn't really Black or something. But apparently it turns out, no, he didn't realize anything was going on. Because here in this episode 10, this, oh my God, this is like so heartbreaking. Sean decides he's going to be open with Black, who he thinks is Black, and ask him to stay by his side, to stay with him. And so he goes to meet him and ask this from him. But the person who he meets is the actual black. It's not white. It's actually black. Black kisses him, which is so strange, and bits on the ground, spits out the kiss. And it's like, yeah, that's my answer. And Sean is just, you know, confused, doesn't know what the heck is going on and tries to get black to talk to him. Black is just like, you know, let go of me. I'm leaving kind of thing. And black just starts like beating the mess out of Sean. And Sean does not fight back the whole time. As a matter of fact, the only thing he's doing, he's on the ground, like literally bleeding. And the only thing he's doing is trying to hug Sean's, I'm sorry, hug Black's legs. And he's just saying his name, you know, Black, Black, trying to get Black to talk to him because he doesn't know what's happening. That's when you realize like he really does not know. He thinks this whole time that Black has, has just changed 
and that he's been in a relationship with Black. And Black is just, now this is the part where I was saying Black is a jerk. He just beats the mess out of Sean. And we knew that Black and White were very different before, but we haven't seen it as much as we see here in this scene. White would never, ever have done that to Sean, and Black just goes ahead and does it. And I guess purposefully, because we see a little flashback scene where he had gone to the garage and he saw White and Sean kissing. So he knew about their relationship before he even agreed to meet Sean over at the docks. So he purposely is beating him up and trying to split. I don't know if he's trying to split them up or if he's just trying to protect his little brother from Sean because he didn't get along with Sean himself and he hates Sean's guts. I'm not quite sure what his game is here, but this episode, the acting is so good from so many people. Off is really good here. He's really good. He's really, he's playing Sean who's so hurt and so desperately trying to hang on to this new love that he thought he had found. I've seen people talking about Off's growth as an actor and I never fully understood it. It was a long time ago that I saw, I saw Puppy Honey when it came out, which was his first thing, that when it came out. So I have actually haven't seen it in years. So I didn't remember what people were talking about as far as Off's acting, but I went back to look at some episodes and they're right. He has really grown a lot as an actor. Um, again, I go back to the material that people have to work with. This is a heavy story. You know, it's a heavy story. So he has to put more emotion into it. And I don't know who the director for Puppy Honey was, but Nucci is asking for a lot from actors and they are rising to the occasion. Of course, Gunn is like amazing here playing these two different characters who are very, they really are very different from each other. And he's doing a great job with it because you've got very innocent, open white and then black who's just dead inside you know <laughs> he's just a jerk and gun is doing such a good job like, like black when he looks at people is just this deadpan stare when he's looking at you there's no emotion showing in his eyes whatsoever and it's the complete opposite of white and you feel like you're looking at two different actors like it's not even the same person that's how good gun is at playing this dual role he's actually pretty scary as black to be honest i just can't believe it's being played by the same guy who's playing crybaby white as black called him he's called him a crybaby earlier but he's just white is just so sweet i can't believe it's the same actor this show every episode is just getting better and better i'm kind of sad we're at episode 10 because that means we're two-thirds of the way through the show <laughs> this is 14 episodes in total it's gonna be so getting into the home stretch here but I am really, really enjoying it. These kind of hard-hitting stories, you know, this is what I want to see more of. It kind of reminds me, it's a different storyline, but it reminds me so much of Manner of Death. I'm, I'm constantly on, on Twitter, on Reddit, suggesting to people, if you like Not Me, watch Manner of Death once you're done with Not Me. I think you'd really enjoy it. And by the same token, if you're someone who really enjoyed Manner of Death, but you have not seen Not Me, go check it out. I think, you're, <laughs> I think you'll really enjoy it. Like I said, we're in the home stretch so if you start watching now you don't have you don't have the torture of waiting week to week like the people like the rest of us are watching it uh live as it as it shows on air but that is it for episode 31 of notes from a drama lodger thanks for listening to me rant about these shows but i really love not me and i want everyone to go watch it and i want people to watch color rush color rush has its issues but i just 
I think the potential is so interesting of this world that Color Rush is set in. So again, thanks for listening to episode 31 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. If you have any comments, suggestions about things I should watch, etc., find me on Twitter at dramawatcher6 or send me an email at dramawatchernotes at gmail.com. If you've got a moment, please take the time to subscribe to the show or like the show if you're listening to it on YouTube. Stay safe, everyone.